So today, if you want to follow along with me, uh, you can open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. And today we'll be reading through um, verses 17 to 30. So I'll read from mine. Verse 17, mine says, But giving this instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must be also factions among you, in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, because in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Because he who eats and drinks and eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you sleep. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for your word, and um, and thank you for your guidance, and and learning more intimate ways to worship you together um, as a community that believes in you. And uh, just pray today you can continue to open up our hearts and um, let us hear what you have to say to us today and and um, help us make the, the, any changes necessary to uh, love you in a more deeper and intimate way and, and to uh, share that with others. Uh, in your name, amen. So I found it fitting today as we're going to talk about communion to stay in First uh, Corinthians. I know uh, Dexter isn't going to be particularly preaching on this section, so I figured, why don't I tackle it? Um, and today I wanted to point out um, four things I don't want you to miss from what Paul is saying to the Corinthians here. So in verse 17, we, we get a good understanding of how he's beginning this here when he, when he says he cannot praise them when they come together. So obviously they are doing something that's not appropriate uh, from Paul's point of view. And the first thing we see here that I don't want you to miss is that there's divisions in their church when they're taking communion. So what would that division, what is the division? What does it look like? Well, in verse 21, it tells us that when they eat, each one takes his own supper first, one is hungry and one is drunk. 
So Paul is speaking to the absence of care of one person and the person that's left hungry and the overindulgence of another when a person is drunk. In verse 22, it seems to tell us there that the division um, is almost a sense of entitlement coming from a, a base of economic status. So he says, do you, do you despise the church or shame those who have nothing? So it seems like the people that have some sort of economic status are, in a sense, leaving behind and not caring for the poor that are amongst in their church, creating this division. So we have the division set up and why Paul cannot praise them for their getting together. The second thing I don't want you to miss is that they actually ate a meal around communion. And this is something I learned this week that for some reason, I'm I'm not sure why I never picked up on this. But when I saw verse 21, where he says one is hungry and one is drunk, I always thought, how do, how do they get drunk off of one little cup of wine if they're sharing that? That seems really weird. That doesn't make sense to me. Or how are they going hungry when all they're doing is having is they're dipping a piece of bread? So what actually is happening here, and we see this in Matthew 26, uh, when Jesus actually tells the disciples to go and prepare the Passover meal. So in Matthew 26... I'll read this quickly for you guys. So it says, uh, 17 says, Now on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus says, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I, can, I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. And the reason why this is important now is when they go to now recline at the table to eat the Passover, this is when Jesus actually instills the new covenant with the communion cup. So we also see in Jude... Verse 12, that a a normal practice for the New Testament church was something called love feasts. So Jude 12, he says, these men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. So when they come together to take communion, they, they may do communion similar to us, but it's also surrounded by a large meal, kind of like a getting together for Thanksgiving. And so this context makes a lot more sense now when some people we have, you can see how the divisions make more sense when you have the poor now aren't even getting to eat, even though there's this big feast that's meant to feed everyone. So when God in Exodus set up the Passover, he said everyone was to take a lamb and have enough food for everybody in there. And any excess was to be burned. So there's no way that no one should have been eating. And the fact that people were getting drunk also tells you the overindulgence. And now this, this was, like I said, this is what I learned because I, I, to me, that makes way more sense now of why someone can go hungry and why someone can get drunk when they're having a meal together. 
The third thing I don't want you to miss is what is communion for? Verse 23 to 26 says, I've received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The communion is to remember what Jesus has done. Remembering the self-sacrificial love, the mercy, the justice. Communion is to remember the gospel. And in verse 26, it actually says there that by taking part in the, in the communion, you're actually proclaiming the very thing that Jesus did. So you're in, in agreement with what communion represents. So it actually makes sense why Paul is so frustrated with the Corinthian church because the gospel is all about self-sacrificial love and mercy, but there's division from their church and there's, they're not even taking care of the poor. So they're not representing the gospel, although they are proclaiming the gospel. We see so many times in, in the church community, the way communion is offered is in so many different ways. Some churches you see communion offered just so willy-nilly and anyone can participate in it. You almost don't even know why you're doing it. It's just everyone else is doing it. On the flip side, you can almost see an exact opposite side of the spectrum. Like last night when me and Laura were at a wedding, we, talk, we talked to a woman that was actually, so she was a, a Christian girl that was going to a Catholic school and she wasn't allowed to participate in communion because she wasn't baptized in the Catholic church. But that, there's nothing that says that here for Jesus. It's all about remembering what he did, not about what you're being baptized in. And so that's very interesting. So you can see two sides of the spectrum here when it comes to communion and remembering again what Jesus did. So communion is the time to come back to the cross where you met Jesus and remember what he did for you and the whole world. The last observation I don't want you to miss is how serious God takes communion. Verse 27 to 30 says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you sleep. So we are to examine ourselves, and we can see here there's a clear standard of conscience before God prior to taking communion. And if you come to God's communion without a clear conscience, he says here actually in 29 that you actually bring judgment upon yourself. So serious to the point where some people are actually getting ill and even died in verse 30. So God sees this Corinthian church joining together, having communion, having a meal together, but not actually showing the love of God within the church. 
expressing, they're not even expressing the fundamental aspect of the cross of self-sacrificial love, taking care of the poor. So it makes sense when you, you have to examine yourself here prior to taking the cup, because you can't proclaim the cross and all that the cross entails and then not live it out, which is what the Corinthian church was doing here in this particular category. So with those things now understand, like we always do as a custom in our church, we're going to take a few minutes, examine yourself. Um, we'll ask the Holy Spirit today to pull out anything that uh, may not be right between you and God. If there is, maybe between your spouse or someone else, come clean. And then when we take communion together, you can come with a clear conscience and really proclaim and live in, in the, the gospel uh, and, and remembering of what Jesus did. Lord, the uh, first thing your spirit brings to my mind is in Romans when you talk about how creation groans for your redemption. And we're so grateful that you don't leave us in the mess that we've made, that you have a place that you've prepared for us to be with you. And I'm grateful that you've made this place a more intimate future that we can look forward to. That's not just about having all the things that we love here about this world in another place. And as hard as sometimes it is to understand and, um, and fathom the sometimes scary thought of you coming and, and bringing judgment to the world, it's, it's also something we eagerly wait because it means that there will be no more pain and no more sorrow, no more tears. And you will have returned and redeemed things back to its original purpose and creation that you've that you've created them for and they're not going to be hindered or tainted and we look forward to those times and so i pray through the eagerness of waiting for you and and hope that we have and the praise that we have that this will push us forward to Encourage us to share this more with people with eagerness. Take these opportunities that come to us. Pray for opportunities, see them and take them and know that you are coming soon and we can't wait for that. So in your precious name, we pray. Amen.